if you live in or around Northbridge, then you probably know that I like to do laps up and down Sailors Bay Road. Um, whether it was the twice daily walk to Woolies when we live just next door, or now the walk to work from Willoughby, or if it's just an afternoon catch up with the lads at the charcoal shack, I don't mind a stroll down Sailors Bay Road. And there are a bunch of things I like to do on my walk. I like to listen to music sometimes. Um, I more often devour a podcast. Sometimes I'll use the time to workshop a sermon, you know, just to try and get through a particular point. And I like to think that I can pass that off as if I'm having just an animated conversation with myself. But too many people have asked me days later, like, were you talking to yourself when you were going along the road? Anyway... I'm not fooling anyone, it turns out. Sometimes, however, when I am on my walk, and I don't do this as often as I probably should, I will use my walk to pray. Now, personally, I find it very hard to pray in my head. I lose focus very quickly, so I pray out loud. And I wonder if the average onlooker knew that I was actually praying, they would think that's the most outrageous thing of all. I mean, talking to yourself is one thing, but talking to God and expecting that he's going to listen and that he's actually going to do anything, well, surely that is stretching reality to breaking point. That could even be you here tonight. You hear prayer and you just think, well, that's highly improbable, basically implausible, truly preposterous. But even for most of us as Christians, can we just be honest right from the start? Can we just straight out admit it? We find prayer hard, don't we? You know, it's a sermon on prayer and you feel a little bit embarrassed, maybe even a little bit guilty, because none of us has the prayer life that we really long for. Yes, we believe in prayer in theory, but the practice of prayer is something else altogether. Our view of the world is so shaped by our modern understanding of things that is so small and so rigid and so mechanical. And really deep down, we think that everything unfolds through an inevitable chain of cause and effect. And it's really hard to believe that prayer actually does anything. And so when we pray, we're a bit hesitant or haphazard or half-hearted. We turn to prayer as a last resort rather than our first instinct. Or we end up praying small, manageable, predictable prayers for things that are already pretty much under our own control. We ask God to bless what we're already going to do rather than asking him to do something new. Or we catch our prayers in all sorts of caveats and some of them can sound quite holy. You know, if it is your will, maybe, please God, could you... Um, And if not, that's okay, then could you just do this? We basically give God an escape clause so that we can escape the disappointment that we feel when it feels like our prayers have gone unheard. And so none of us come to the topic of prayer as experts. I reckon no one is sitting there right now thinking, actually, I probably pray too much. All of us come as crummy prayers. Or is that just me? Please tell me it's not just me. And so what we need tonight is more than a pep talk. And we need more than some practical tips and tricks. You know, Pat's top five tips for prayers. That would be awful. What we need tonight is nothing less than full-bodied, industrial-strength, nuclear-powered gospel truth. 
We need to set before us this truth that God answers prayer. In fact, that's actually going to be our outline. We're going to unpack each word of that phrase. God answers prayer. And as we do, I hope that more than anything else, we'll see tonight that prayer is the place where human need and divine fullness collide. That prayer is about bringing our nothingness to our Heavenly Father's abundance. And if that's true, then the sense that we have that we're lacking, that we don't have what it takes to really pray, well, actually, that's not an obstacle to prayer at all. That's actually our greatest opportunity. So let's start with God. Because the most important question we have to answer is, who are we actually praying to? What kind of God is it who is listening to us? And there are lots of different ways that we could answer that question. We could think of prayer as if we are battle-weary soldiers coming before God, our commander-in-chief. Or maybe we could think of ourselves as hard-working servants reporting to our master or bosses or employees, sorry, checking in with the boss or students meeting up with the teacher. Whatever picture of God we have in our minds, that is going to have the biggest impact on our prayers. And so what we need is to grasp the picture that Jesus gives us in those few verses from Matthew chapter 7. Because Jesus says that we come before God as little children before our attentive and generous Father in heaven. So listen again to Jesus' teaching from verse 9. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is not a stingy miser, you know, arms crossed, unimpressed with all of our requests. I mean, not you again. He's not distant or dismissive or uninterested. God is sitting on the very edge of his seat and his arms are out, ready to embrace us. He's hanging on our every word. His heart is full of love for us as his daughters and sons. And as we come before him with all manner of requests and petitions, he's not holding anything back. He stands ready to give us his very best. Isn't that a thrilling thought? And it's not just some kind of niche teaching here in a few verses. Jesus teaches this everywhere. God is our Father. Just in Matthew chapter 6, if you flick back a page, Jesus has told people, when you pray, you don't need to pile up words to sound really impressive. You don't need to twist God's arm to convince him to listen to what you have to say. Instead, we pray simply, our Father in heaven. But Jesus knows that our sinful hearts are so slow to believe that this is what God is really like. And so he tells us, not just in his teaching, but in his stories, so many of his parables are told with this picture of God as a father so that it would really sink into our hearts. The most famous of those stories is Jesus' story of the prodigal son. Do you know that one? The youngest son of a wealthy father just rejects his dad. He asks for the inheritance. He wants the father's stuff, but not a relationship with the father. And he goes off to a far country where he blows it all on wild living. 
And then there's a famine and an economic downturn and he ends up living among the pigs before he finally slinks back home with his tail between his legs. And he has a request for the father to take him back as a mere servant. He prepares this little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And that's the best that he can hope for. And can you blame him? He was a total ratbag. And could you blame the father if he saw his son coming down the driveway and shooed him away? You are not welcome here. But when the father sees his son, he runs to meet him. And before his son can finish his practiced little speech, the father has already embraced him, has already kissed him. He's already put sandals on his feet and the best robe on his back and a family ring on his finger. He throws a massive party. He kills the fattened calf and there's a celebration of feasting and dancing and joy. What small expectations that are met with such lavish generosity. And that is what God is like. He stands ready to welcome us, far more willing to give to us than we are to ask. And he meets our half-hearted, small-hoped requests with his abundant loving kindness. And Jesus keeps teaching this. And he keeps telling stories about this. Your Father in heaven, he loves you. He wants to give to you. And all of that teaching and all of those stories are driving towards a reality that comes to its fullest expression as Jesus lays down his life for us on the cross. In the end, it is only the cross of Jesus that can finally break through our defences, that can melt our hard hearts and convince us that God loves us. I mean, is it really true that God wants what's best for me? Is he really on my side? Does he really want to give generously to me? Well, listen to the word of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Brothers and sisters, Behold your God. This is who we pray to. Our Father in heaven, he is not holding anything back for he's given his very own son. And he wants to keep giving good gifts to us because he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And as we pray to this God, he hears and he answers our prayers. This is our second point. Because when we say that God answers our prayers, that's actually taking us to the very essence of what prayer basically is. Most simply, prayer is about asking. It's about making requests and petitions so that God can answer them. 
that really leaps off the page as you read these few verses in Matthew 7, don't you think? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You can hardly miss it, can you? What is prayer all about? It's about asking God. You see this in the Lord's Prayer as well. Do you notice that every line of the Lord's Prayer is a petition? It's an asking of God. Even as we begin by turning away from ourselves and pray for God's name and the coming of God's kingdom and His will, we're actually asking God to accomplish those things rather than mustering it up from within ourselves. This is how one commentator puts it. And I find this very helpful. We need to be reminded, he says, that asking is not, as some spiritual teachers tell us, more selfish than praise, which we are told is more God-centred. Or that asking is more selfish than intercession, which is said to be more neighbour-centred. Or that asking is more selfish than thanksgiving, which we hear is more humble. For the right way for disciples to appear before God is not as givers to a divine egoist, but as receivers before a generous father. There can be more self-centeredness in the praise understanding of worship, which assumes that we are the important actors and God the passive recipient, than there is in the asking understanding of worship, which lets God be God and us be human beings. What he's saying is praise and thanksgiving are essential responses to the God who gives us everything. But it's not as if God needs those things from us as if we need to kind of fill God up with some compliments before he'll be ready to answer us. You know how kids will go to their parents and say something really nice to their mum or dad and the parent knows immediately they're trying to get something from them? What do you want? No, God stands ready to give to us and we are the ones who need everything from him. And so there is something profoundly God-honouring about simply asking God for things. Because we are the ones who are empty and we need God to fill us up, not the other way around. In fact, we're more than just empty. Did you notice the bombshell that Jesus drops in verse 11? Did you see what he actually said? Look closely. He says, if you then, you know, human fathers, though you are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more God? Jesus the kindest and most compassionate person who has ever lived, looks us in the eye and with a straight face says, you are evil. Huh. At one level, that's pretty confronting, isn't it? None of us like to be called evil. And Jesus is telling us that as human beings, we're not just weak, we're wicked without God. Our hearts naturally turned against God and his purposes there's also a great comfort here too because it means that Jesus is encouraging us to pray like this with eyes wide open. He knows fully and completely who we are. He knows the depth of our need, physical and spiritual, even more than we know it ourselves. And still he urges us to pray. 
I mean, here's a thought. What if it's our very weakness and our sinfulness that qualifies us to come to ask God for help in the first place? Jesus says we need God. We depend upon Him for every breath, for our daily bread. And we depend upon God for the forgiveness of our sins and daily deliverance from evil and temptation. And so Jesus is saying, sinners that we are, come boldly before your Father. He's beckoning us to come in prayer with empty hands out and mouths open with the confidence that our Father in heaven will fill us and feed us. See, in these few verses, Jesus is really reminding us of the two fundamental realities at the heart of the Christian gospel. On the one hand, he says, God is more loving and generous than we dare to believe. And we are more sinful and needy than we ever imagined. And prayer is what happens when that divine fullness and our human need collide. Prayer is about bringing all of our weakness and all of our wickedness to God and asking that he would give us everything we need from his great abundance. Jesus is saying to us, all of us, Did you notice that beautifully expansive word in verse 8? Everyone who asks. Jesus is saying to all of us today, what do you need? What do you need? Name it. Is there some sin in your past that still haunts you to this very day? Is there some sin in your life that even now has you in its grip? And just saying it out loud kind of scares you a little bit. Jesus says, bring it to God. Ask for the forgiveness and the freedom that Christ has won for you. Are you suffering from some sickness, anxiety or depression? Are you under the power of addiction? Do you feel just aimless in life? Are you bored? Are you overwhelmed with the demands that are placed upon you? Do you feel as if your hope for the future is being slowly eroded? Is your heart broken? Bring it to God. Seek the comfort that only He can give. Seek his peace, which is beyond all understanding. Seek the kind of transformation and renewal and healing that only God can bring. Is there some absence in your life? A longing for some good thing that you lack? Perhaps it's a broken relationship that you just think is beyond all repair. It could be that you long to be married to someone. Or perhaps you wish you had a child, but it just keeps not coming day after day, month after month. Maybe there are loved ones in your life who don't know the gospel and more than anything, you just want them to know Jesus. Come to God. Dare to believe that God our Father loves to answer urgent prayer with his best blessing. Or maybe you're that kind of person who just goes, prayer's ridiculous, right? Unbelievable. 
But there is this niggling sense of need in your life. You're longing for something more. You have questions and you, you want to know the answers. Well, Jesus is saying, pray. Ask God. I'm not even sure if you're real. But if you are, I want to know you and your son who you sent. Knock on God's door because he's waiting. And he loves nothing more than to fling his kingdom open wide so that anyone who's seeking him can enter in. Or do you want to be wholehearted for Jesus and a Northbridge that knows him? Well, that's not going to happen through our own effort and our own cleverness. Like, I really like the both and. I think that's awesome. Like, we don't want to be a church just walking down the middle. Let's have all the extremes all the time. But there's no amount of ministry programming. There's no tweaks that we can make. There is no streamlining that we can do that is going to usher St. Mark's into some glorious future. But what if we start to pray God-sized prayers and ask him to do a work in our lives and through our church that when it happens, we'll just go, we didn't do this. Only God could do something like that. Now, for sure, God is going to answer our prayers sometimes in surprising and unexpected ways. The good gifts that he wants to give us could be beyond what we can right now understand or imagine. But in light of the promises of Jesus here in this passage, we can be certain that no bold asking prayer will ever be wasted prayer. No such thing exists. Jesus says to us, ask, seek, knock. And so let us be a church who prays and prays and prays. And so, how can we make progress in a life of prayer? How can we stumble forward together into a fuller and richer fellowship with God our Father? Well, I just want to quickly suggest three things as we finish. Firstly, try something new. There are lots of different ways that you can pray and there is no one way that is the kind of rubber-stamped, super-spiritual option. There is no prayer that we can pray that God will turn around and say, actually, you're kind of doing it wrong. Come back when you've learned how to do it properly. And so, try something new. Try praying on your way to work, maybe as you walk or as you're driving or on the bus or whatever. Someone told me recently that they pray for um, their home group every week when they go to the gym. So they pray for their home group a couple of times a week. I would never pray for my home group if I linked that up, but um, do what works for you. I know that Izzy finds it helpful to write down her prayers sometimes. I mean, for me, unless I'm speaking it out loud, I'm off with the fairies. I know other people have told me that praying on their knees at the end of their bed just helps to focus their mind on their need before God. You could choose to do something like praying every morning before you pick up your phone. Or you could pray every time you eat during the day. Use your imagination. Be creative. Try something new and you could find something that's really helpful for you. I mean, what have you got to lose? Try something new. Secondly, try something old. And one of the things I've found most helpful for me is taking advantage of the fact that I'm not the first person who's figuring out how to pray. For 2,000 years, Christians have been learning to pray to God about all sorts of things and in all sorts of helpful ways. 
and they've written their prayers down so we can benefit from their learning. So I find it really hard when I sit down to pray to focus on anything at all, really. Um, And there are so many different things that I know I can be praying for that it's just hard to know where to start. And so sitting down with some time-tested prayers really helps me to channel my thoughts in helpful directions. And actually those prayers shape my concerns to be bigger than the things that I can see and that first come to mind. And what I've found is that those structured historic prayers have laid a foundation for me to launch off into more spontaneous prayers for my current concerns. And if you would like any tips on resources to use, just let me know. I'd love to recommend some things to you. But a great place to start is the Anglican service of morning prayer. It's got all you need. Confession, thanksgiving, prayer for the world, prayer for yourself, prayer for the church. It's a great place to be. So try something old and then pray together. Here's another secret. The most holy kind of prayer is not you by yourself in a dark room just talking to God on your own. You're not doing it wrong if you're praying with other people. It's not cheating. Because if prayer is coming before our Heavenly Father, don't you think he would love it if we do it together as brothers and sisters? So maybe you could find two or three people who you could meet up with once a month just to pray for the things that are going on in your life. And you might be there now thinking, who would I even ask? Let me know. We can do some matchmaking. It'll be great. You could take the opportunities that you have each week in your home group. Speaking out loud in a group might terrify you. But what a way to encourage the people around you and what a help to your own prayers to take that opportunity each week. Did you know that every Sunday there is a prayer meeting in that little room there half an hour before the 5pm service? Can I take a moment to honour Mel and Claire who are just faithfully there week by week? You go, sisters. You can join them. Why not make a commitment to go once a month in the year ahead? to pray for what's about to happen in church, to just blow our minds. That'd be great. Or what if we all said, I'm going to go to every single whole church prayer meeting next year that happens down in the hall. Our final one for this year is the first Wednesday in December. And we go pretty well as a church. We get about 40 to 50 people there each week. What if there were 100? What if everyone on the roll at St. Mark's was there? What if we were all together as brothers and sisters asking and seeking and knocking in bold and fervent prayers to our Lord? Who knows what God could do there? So yeah, many people today find prayer improbable or implausible or just plain preposterous. But we know better because we know Jesus and he teaches us and he shows us that God is our loving Father in heaven And if you have ever prayed, I'm sure it will be your testimony that our God is a God who answers prayer. And if that's true, then the only really preposterous thing would be to not pray at all. Jesus says to us tonight, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone, that includes you, who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened.